We've been working on a scripture memory together. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. What we need to understand is there's a context for which this is given. And in that short little book of Jude, it is really not only the conclusion, but a lofty, lofty, lofty doxology. It is an expression of praise to God. And what Jude has been talking about is the fact that you and I live in a dangerous world. Now, we enjoy such bounty. You know, for today, the sun is shining. We see flowers blooming. We see things green and vibrant, and it's a refreshing experience. We have opportunities to enjoy the blessing of getting together either with family or friends and doing things with one another. And in our culture and in our country, for the most part, many individuals enjoy a level of uh, prosperity that people in the world cannot even begin to imagine because it's outside their sphere of reference. But in the midst of all of that, you and I need to recognize we live in a dangerous world. Parents understand that, and even when children are small, they begin to tell children certain things they need to be careful about. Watch out how you cross the street, right? Watch out for when strangers speak to you. Uh, Don't be vulnerable. Because parents recognize their children are living in a dangerous world. Well, what we need to understand is that as adults, you and I are living in a dangerous world. As we have seen even this past week, there are natural dangers that come to people. Uh, Certain areas experiencing tornadoes or typhoons. uh, Other calamities that come to people with torrential rains and flooding. But in addition to the natural disasters, you and I recognize we live in a dangerous world because of the wickedness of the human heart. Where individuals perpetuate evil on other human beings, either taking their life, taking their possession, or doing some sort of harm to them. And somehow we kind of insulate ourselves to that and fail to appreciate that we really do live in a dangerous world and we need to be careful. We need to watch out. And in the book of Jude, Jude says to you and to me as those who profess faith in Christ that not only do we need to be aware of natural disasters and calamities that come to people, Not only do we need to be aware of the fact that because of the wickedness of the human heart, we live in a dangerous world, but there is something even more serious than the things that can happen to us physically in this world, and that is the spiritual dangers that are all around God's people. We know that Peter expressed the same thing. And he made it very clear that you have an enemy that is far superior to you. An enemy who stalks about like a roaring lion to do what? Seeking someone to devour. 
And sometimes as God's people, we can become a little bit complacent about the realities of the dangers that await us. And God stirred up Jude to remind God's people, you and I live in a dangerous spiritual world. And what we need is the capability of God to watch over us. If you look at the beginning of the book of Jude, you recognize that Jude, who in the Greek the word would be Judas, but in the Hebrew it would be Judah, Yada, the one of praise, named after one of the patriarchs in the nation of Israel. And he says he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of Jacob, in the Greek, James. And as the brother of James, he says he is writing to those who are the called, beloved of God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. So he's writing a letter to the believing community, very likely because of his identification with James, which would be the James of the church in Jerusalem, who was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Judah would also have been the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, a son of Mary and Joseph. And the record of him being part of that family is found in Matthew chapter 13, verses, verse 55, and also in Mark 6, we have the same acknowledgement. And so here is a half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ who humbly, instead of speaking about his relationship physically with Christ, realizes regardless of the physical relationship, we are all on equal ground before God and Jesus Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of the well-known leader of the church in Jerusalem, James. And he stated that he wanted to write to them and rejoice in the salvation that they have in Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I was making every effort. I sat down again and again to write to you about our common salvation. But something continued to restrain me. Something continued to plague my conscience. It told me there's something of greater importance to talk about than the salvation that we mutually have in Jesus Christ. And what is it? that you need to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, Jude wrote this letter somewhere around 80 to 90 AD. So this would have been well after the apostolic period. And as far as we know, the only apostle who is still living at this time would be the apostle John. And what we find is, is that God had disclosed and conveyed the New Testament truth for his people. And here it is called that body of truth that we are to accept and believe and therefore became known as the faith. The object of our faith, which was once for all, God's not giving out new information, delivered unto the saints. And why is it we need to contend earnestly for this body of truth? Notice verse 4. For certain persons have crept in how? Unnoticed. Unsuspected. Individuals who have places of leadership, prominence, and teaching responsibilities where? 
in the church, not in false religions, not in governmental places, not in the secular society. Our adversary, the evil one, who is stalking around looking for individuals to devour, masquerades as an angel of light, and so do his servants, as Paul made it very clear when he wrote to the Corinthians, and he said, these false apostles masquerade as apostles of light. And what you and I need to recognize is that from the beginning inception of the church, Up through the present day, there is a warfare that is going on. You and I live in a very dangerous world. And what Jude describes in this book is both the character and the teaching of these false teachers who unsuspectedly had come in to the church. And after describing what they are like and how they pervert the grace of God into either licentiousness or a form of legalism states to the saints in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to be Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, to eternal life. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by their flesh. Now to him who is able. Do you understand the significance that is uh, indicated by how Jude develops this? As a child of God, I need to know I live in a world that is filled with problems, difficulties, and spiritual uh, terrors. And I need to be sure that my focus is on the Lord and his word, but at the same time to recognize it isn't by my power, by my might, that I'm going to be kept from these evil teachings from these evil individuals as I am involved in this dangerous world. It is the work of God alone. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. A recognition that God in his grace does for his people what they cannot do for themselves. And the first thing I need to understand is I am vulnerable. I am vulnerable to false teaching. I am vulnerable to being deceived. And it is only because of the work of God and of his grace that I am kept from apostatizing with the false teaching that is so prevalent within the world and even in the church. When I become complacent, thinking that because of something in and of myself, I am secure in the body of Christ, I have an Achilles heel and I am extremely vulnerable. Who is the one who keeps me? Notice he says, now to him 
who is able. And what Jude is emphasizing here is the reality of God's capability to do for us in troubled times, to keep us from apostasy that we cannot do for ourselves. In verse 25, he identifies who he means when he says, now to him who is able. It is to the only God, our Savior. And we might sit there and think, why is it that he didn't just start with now to the only God who is able? Instead, he starts with now to him who is able, which, by the way, is the third time that this, in the New Testament, this formula is used in a benediction, twice by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans and also in the book of Ephesians and here by the book of Jude. Well, we have false teachers who are perverting God's truth, who have a misconception of the character of God. And the first thing that Jude wants them to understand is this God who brings salvation to undeserving sinners is a personal being. It's not may the force be with you. It's not to it who is able. It's not to just some concept of what a divine being is like. Now to him who is able. He is a personal being who is intimately involved in the lives of his people. And he is the one who overtakes the care of his people. Not only is this personal being the one who guards and watches over his children, notice he says he is the only God. See, what do we live in our day-to-day, which was also true in that polytheistic day in which Jude was writing? Oh, there's many gods. As long as you're sincere and you just believe, you know, then everything's okay with you. Jude makes it clear there's only one unique being that properly is designated as God and he is the only one that is capable to do the things that I'm telling you need to be done for your well-being. And this only true one God, this unique being who is personally involved in the lives of his children is to the only God, our Savior, Eight times in the New Testament, God is declared as being the individual who delivers, who saves. Salvation is not found in man. Salvation is not found in religion. Salvation is only found in the one true God. Now to the only God, our Savior, the unique being who delivers, this personal being who is providing safeguard and blessing for his people is doing so through whom? Notice verse 25, through Jesus Christ. Now, I may not be politically correct, but I want you to understand there's only one name given among men whereby you might be saved. It may not be popular. It may not fit the mindset of our day. But Jesus Christ is the one and the apostles after him who clearly said there is salvation in no other. It is only in the one who is raised again from the dead that God has brought about this convincing proof as a declaration that through him the blessings of God flow. 
Through him, the blessings of God are initiated. And it is through him, day in and day out, the blessings of God come to his people. And what does Paul say about him? Notice the capability. Now to him who is what? Able. Means you have the ability. The Greek term is one that is more impactful. Now to him who is the dunamis, who has the dynamic, who has the power, who has the reserve within himself to take care of the needs of his creatures. He is the one that displayed his capability when he said, let there be light, and guess what? There was light. He is the one who called the whole universe into existence. He is the one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He is the one who gives new life to those who are dead in their sins. He is the one who watches over the people of God. Now to him alone who has the dynamic, the dunamis, the power to take care of his people. And what two things does he do for his own? Notice he says, now to him who is able to keep you, and then in the other half after the conjunction, and to make you stand. Two important things that God does for the well-being of his people who alone has the capability of watching over his own. He is able to keep you from stumbling. This word translated to keep means to guard, to protect, to preserve. So you have the preservation of the saints through the dynamic power of God. He guards his own. He watches over them. He keeps them from stumbling, from tripping up, from falling into a trap. It isn't because God's people are smarter than, wiser than the rest of the people of the earth. It is because God has given his people a comprehension of the reality that is around them. He has opened their ears to hear his voice. He has opened their eyes to see reality for how it is. Jesus Christ himself stated that his sheep will not listen to a false shepherd. But instead, my sheep, said Jesus Christ, hear my voice and I give to them eternal life and they follow me. To those that don't follow him, he says, why can't you understand what I'm saying? Because you're not one of my sheep. And as you and I live in this dangerous world that not only is filled with natural disasters, that not only has ways in which man and his wickedness is harming other human beings, but more importantly, spiritually, as the enemy of our souls seeks to snatch us away from the only Savior, the great God himself, now to him who has the power to preserve, to protect, to guard, to keep you from falling into apostasy, to keep you from being tripped up. You know that the reality of what the evil one 
presents in his counterfeiting methods looks so close to the genuine. And it is only the preserving work of God that delivers the children of God from the snare of the evil one. He preserves his own. Not only does he preserve his own, but notice it says, and to make you stand. It's a word which means to establish you, which causes you to be acceptable. And so the whole idea that from beginning to end the life of the child of God is by grace alone. When we stand before God blameless, that means you don't have any blemish, no remnant of sin, nothing that is displeasing to beneath the glorious character of God. How is that going to happen? God, through Jesus Christ, is transforming and changing every one of his children as trophies of grace into the image of the Lord. And we will stand before him, as John would say, and we shall see him as he is. Do you know why? For we will be like him. You talk about miracles. You don't know me as well as I know myself. But for me to think that sinlessly manifesting the glorious character of God, I will stand before my Lord and Savior is a miracle that defies my imagination. And if you're being honest with yourself, you recognize it will take the miraculous work of God to do the same with you. Why will God's children as trophies of grace stand before him and not accused to be declared righteous in his sight, acceptable to him? Now to him who is able. It's a recognition that God does beyond all we could ever ask or think. And when as a child of God, I'm before him without spot and wrinkle, any rudiment aspect of sin, when I am blameless before him without any flaw, oh, I'll tell you what will accompany that. Exuberant, great joy. To be in the presence of God where there is the fullness of joy forevermore. To hear God say, You're acceptable to me. Enter into the kingdom that was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. To come into the presence of the Lord and to be in his presence forevermore. All burdens lifted with exceeding great joy. A rejoicing that we can only begin to imagine And it's all because God preserves his people and God transforms his people 
to present them before him through Jesus Christ, the Lord. What do we need to understand? The first is, only God can do this work. It's not something we can do for ourselves. Now, it doesn't mean we don't take advantage of what God has provided for us. He has provided us his word. He has provided us with the company of his people. But unless grace is at work, all efforts on the part of man are absolutely futile. Only God can do this work. And a recognition that God is the one that preserves me. God is the one that enables me to endure. God is the one that is transforming me. God is the one that is conforming me to the image of Jesus Christ. And no wonder Jude would say, to this one who is our Savior, who is doing these mighty works for the benefit of his people, to him be the glory. He deserves the praise. He deserves the honor. To him be the majesty, the splendor of all that he is displayed through his people because of what he has done for them. To him be the authority. He has the strength, the right to accomplish this work and all that he does throughout the world. To him be the dominion, the rule, the sovereignty over all. It was like this before the ages, right? Before all time. It's how it is right now. God is not sharing his glory with anyone. And for all eternity into the ages yet to come, God is the one who is going to receive the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and authority. He'll have the place of preeminence in all things. And you want to know something? You can count on it. That's that little phrase we use at the end of a prayer. It's the Hebrew word, amen. And amen means it is so. This is the way it is. The reality is I can't keep myself and avoid the subtle temptations of the evil one. But God has given me, given me his word and I seek to understand his truth. But at the whole time recognizing while living in a dangerous world with spiritual pitfalls all around me, I have to depend upon the only one who is able to keep me from stumbling and to present me in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. And I will willingly give him the honor and the glory that he so rightfully deserves. Like little children looking to parents to take care of them in a harmful world, sometimes misguided in what dad or mom can do for them to protect them. But oh, not so for the people of God. 
God is the one who watches over his children. God is the one who gives eternal life to his own. Jesus Christ is the one who said, no one can pluck them out of my hand. And the Father who gave them to me is greater than all. And no one can pluck them out of my Father's hand. As you and I go through each day in this dangerous world, knowing that we have an adversary that is seeking to cause us to depart from the living God and the hope that we have in in him. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless, in the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be the glory, majesty, dominion, and authority forever and ever, before all time, even now, and into the ages yet to come. Count on it. It is so. Amen. God protects. God transforms. God is the one who keeps his own. Father, we thank you for your truth. And with a verse that we have memorized together, may it even be more comprehensible to us of how desperately we need you and that apart from you, we're like sheep that are so vulnerable to the ways of the evil one. But thankfully, the good shepherd is the one who not only laid down his life for his own, but preserves and keeps them unto eternal glory. To him be the glory forevermore. Amen.